Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the ATP Challenger 2 podcast. And today, of course, we have three exciting events to recap, but also four previews. I think without further ado, we're just going to get into it. We have a couple of top 100 debuts as well. Uh, so let's actually start with the one that's not going to be covered on the Challenger Tour, because Luciano Darderi made the final in um, Buenos Aires, uh, sorry, Cordoba. And so far, I can't tell you if he won the title or not, because I'm recording this before the final against Facundo Bagnis happened. However, Darderi was on my top 100 list for 2024. I thought he was a bit of a bold pick, honestly, but just the way that he was in the quarterfinals, semifinals of a challenger every single time at the end of 2023, that definitely convinced me to, to go for him. And I'm glad I did. Of course, um, that was like part of the reason that maybe the Golden Swing is going to be huge for him. And it's already huge, despite it being just one event. He qualified for Cordoba. He won four matches, beating the defending champion Sebastian Baez yesterday in a pretty impressive win, even if Baez was like a bit far off his best. Darderi has done a lot of work and um, like the, the, the serving that he was pulling off. Also, just the sheer heaviness of his forehand, of course, it's it's pretty impressive. And the fact that um, it's like both on return when he was falling back, you know, he was having this def defensive position when it comes to return of serve, but also just in the rallies, how heavy he strikes the ball was very tough for Baez to handle because, of course, Baez... Regard, like regardless of that Schwartzman comparison that people always put for him because of the height, because of the nationality, he actually is a very sort of forehand attacking player, right? Like he really wants to be in control of the point with that forehand. And when someone plays as heavy as Darderi, it's pretty hard to do that. It's pretty hard to overwhelm the opponents. So that was a great win for Luciano. And he is one of the top 100 debuts. Uh, that we got this week. The other one will be covered regularly on the Challenger Tour. And in fact, we are going to start there. We are going to start in Chennai because that was the biggest Challenger. We had a Challenger 100. And it's won by Sumit Nagal over Luca Nardi. And Sumit Nagal is the player to break the top 100, which, uh, by the way, was like a direct top 100 playoff between the two. Sumit Nagal, he um, has a great story, obviously. He had that hip injury just a couple of years ago. He was struggling to get back to his true level. He was around 500 in the rankings this time last year. And we, I remember with Jakub, we were thinking, you know, whether he will have to play ITF future, whether he's going to have to drop back to the ITF tour or not. He was basically in that position where he had to rely on a couple of Indian wildcards in the challenger swing. Otherwise, he his ranking would be like 500 and he would have no other option. But he did pretty well. He actually made the semis in Chennai. And uh, from that point onwards, I mean, he's playing the best tennis of his career. And uh, that's um, fantastic for a nation like India to have another top 100 player in singles as well. I mean, uh, this is, I think, the 10th Indian to break the top 100. Obviously, that's a huge market for tennis, potentially. We see it all the time on Twitter, how big the um, sort of the, the ratings are, how big the um, likes, follows, you know, retweets are whenever someone is talking about an Indian player. Probably a few Indian people are also listening to this show right now. So the interest is there. It's not like the interest isn't there. Hopefully India can grow as a tennis market, as a tennis country. And Sumit Nagal can be a huge trailblazer in, the, in terms of that. Of course, recent years, we've had some top 100 players from India. Some Dev Devarman, Yoki Bambri, Prajnesh Gunesvaran. There's a lot of good doubles specialists. Needless to say, Rohan Bopanna is the main character right now. But Lander Pace, Mahesh Bhupati... Um, lots of uh, players like, you know, Sakhev Meneni, Ramkumar Ramanathan. But Nagal, if he can stick around, if he can stay in the top 100 for a while, and he's not defending anything, like virtually nothing, until the end of April, that would be massive. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see all the interest that he's results his success is gaining on twitter as well and when it comes to his actual run he didn't even drop a set he beats Dev, fonio palans Frigina, and nardi theoretically an easy draw but then again you have uh, palan who beat him last year i think at one of these indian events i don't think it was chennai but at one of these indian events you've got dalibor Stina who's pretty dangerous when he's playing you know focused like he was this week and then the playoff with luca nardi which actually was like a direct shootout for who breaks the top 100 Nardi will have to wait, Sumit Nagal gets there. Uh, honestly, it was a bit, like, the final was a bit poor quality because, well, the, both players really felt the effects of that top 100 chance that they have, you know, and they were they were really nervous. But Sumit from the get-go was just handling it a bit better and kudos to him for that as well. So, so his fifth challenger title gets him into the top 100 and what an achievement, what a moment for the 26-year-old. 
Uh, now, when it comes to the finalist, Luca Nardi, one match away from the top 100. He's still pretty close. He still has a good opportunity in the next few months or so. But it feels like this was a real, real chance, obviously. Uh, he manages to beat Vanshelboim, Tomic, Napolitano, and then Seng, the semi-final against Seng. He was kind of choking there. He could have won it in straights. He didn't. Then in the third set, he is 5-2 up in the tiebreak. He plays a couple of horrible points. And then he saves a match point with a dead net court. So he gets to that final based on that, you know, against Nagal. And I thought he might have a better shot than he did against Sumit. But yeah, there was just not much fire in Luka's game there. Uh, I mean, about Nardi, I think we've been talking about that, um, about him sort of ad nauseum the last few months, that he will have some amazing top 100 opportunities. But is he showing enough to like make us think that he's going to stick around, that he's actually going to be a worthwhile addition to the ATP Tour. I think his A game definitely is top 100 quality. His B game, not so much. Uh, And it's going to be interesting how he keeps going in this Indian swing and whether he can actually keep pulling off some wins. And by the way, he was my pick for the title here. So I definitely can't be disappointed he made the final. I did get get a point this week, but it was in a different event. And of course, we're going to get to that. And when it comes to the semifinalist, Chun Seng with some of his best tennis in a while and like really... I know maybe it doesn't mean all that much with Tseng right now because he has been losing, losing and losing. However, still, to beat Basilashvili, Blanchet and Dalavale, that was really uh, some of the best stuff he's played. He was serving very well in this pretty fast altitude-ish hardcore conditions in India. And he almost beats Luca Nardi as well. Uh, he won this ridiculous point in the tiebreak that I thought maybe was going to get him there. Eventually, of course, as we know, there was that... Um, there was that net court, but he has to f- look at this week as a very g- big positive. And actually in Bangalore next week, he already saved the match point himself against Evgeny Karlovsky in the first round of qualifying. So let's see if Tseng can follow up on this. I think he's playing Yun Seon Chong in the final qualifying round. We'll get to that, of course. But yeah, uh, Bangalore is actually a title that he won in 2022. So Maybe he can get back to that and win it again. In 2023, he was in the quarterfinals there, but he was blown off the court by Medjedovic. And Dalibor Stina, the semifinalist, I think the solid, solid run for Dalibor. He lost in the opening round of qualifying to Jessica. Then Montpellier, he qualifies, which I think already was pretty big for him. He also even beat, she- uh, like almost beat Shevchenko in the first round. And here he beats Bobrov, Donskoy, Mukund and Nagal. Uh, didn't really come close to Nagal. I think from 5-1 down in the second set, there was a bit of a fight back, but otherwise not so much. It was like their Tampere final last year, which was also pretty confidently won by Sumit. But uh, as a whole, still a positive week for him, of course. He was winning all his matches in deciding sets, and I think especially the battle against Sasikumar Mukund was, was really exciting. It was just a physical grind fest, and Stina managed to emerge on top in that. And uh, that will be it for Chennai, basically. When it comes to the doubles, we have Meneni and Ramanathan beating Bolipali and Kalyanda Punacha in the final. So an all-Indian one. Probably not too surprising because, as I said, I mean, there's so many good doubles specialists in India right now. However, the semi-finalists, there were also Schneider-Walner, that duo that also made the Koblenz final. Of course, I talked about them a bit more on the previous episode. And also Matsui Uesugi. Our favorite doubles duo was in the semis, but the final was all Indian and it's Mineni Ramanathan who do have a, well, I would say they don't have that great of a record with each other. However, they've already won two titles and basically anytime they're in this Indian swing, they're dangerous. It's just that otherwise they haven't been winning too much. However, yeah, they, they already have two challenger titles along with Bangalore 2022 and they are also playing with each other in Bangalore this year. Anyway, uh, let's get from Chennai to um, hmm, Bernie Nottingham. I guess we can sort of choose because it's both Challenger 75s. Let's start with Nottingham, maybe, which was the more high profile event, you know, more high quality, I think, as a whole, in terms of the depth of the draw, especially. And that was won by Giovanni Impeci Pericard, for whom this is his second Challenger title after Leon last year. Leon was, of course, that altitude hard event in Mexico. I think this one is like more legit for sure. And it's a funny revenge story as well, because the last two losses of Mpechi Pericard just before Nottingham, they were over, um, you know, to Matteo Martino in Quimper and to Alexander Blox in Koblenz. And then he goes to Nottingham and he beats Blox in the semis and Martino in the final. He wins all five tie breaks he plays along the way, which was pretty crazy. And eventually, uh, I have to say that in every single match, the story was pretty similar. Like, we all know that Mpechi Pericard has the weapons. 
but his footwork, his athleticism, it looked pre- it looked pretty decent this year, this week. Like maybe he's not that good a mover in terms of the feet. However, he is not a bad athlete. He can actually turn some points around from time to time. He can actually grind a little bit. And when he's willing to trust his baseline game, because for example, when I watched that match against Blocks in Koblenz, he was just pressing the second serve. At some point, he was just, you know, rushing every single ground stroke. He doesn't do it in Nottingham. He actually is willing to grind. He is willing to rally. And it really changes his, like it really shifts his potential. You know, it, it, it makes it go up for sure if he when he's playing in that sort of mode. So it's a it's a great week for him, obviously. Five tie breaks won, lots of good clutch play, but at the same time, as I said, just trusting his baseline game. I think he was only broken three times, once by Guinard and twice by Hamish Stewart. So yeah, it's an it's an excellent result for uh, the 20-year-old, obviously. And let's see if he can keep going like this. Um, we'll see how he does outdoors as well and like not in conditions that will be too fast. Uh, but obviously, uh, this is this is amazing, and this was real progress as well in terms of the game, not only in terms of the results. Speaking of real progress in terms of the game results, we've got Matteo Martino, who for a while I think has been showing that he has a very solid skill set. He's already had uh, four Challenger semifinals before Nottingham, including recently in Quimper. So I think making that final for him is a very, very nice turnout. He beat Bellucci, Harris, Kolash and Kukushkin. So I think a very solid run. Uh, sort of, You've got the veterans in Kolash and Kukushkin. You've got maybe the more new faces on the Challenger Tour in Harris and Bellucci. Although Billy Harris, I think, might be older than Kolash even. But, you know, in the in the sense that he's fresher to the Challenger Tour. And he loses to Pechi Pericard in the final where, honestly, he just wasn't able to play controlled aggression as well as he should have. In the sense that when Pechi Pericard had these moments when he was actually yeah, just willing to defend a bit more, it was always Martino's game that would break down. It was his attacks that wouldn't be like as confident, as certain, as safe as Pechi Pericard's actually were, surprisingly enough. And uh, yeah, that's how Matteo Martino lost the final, but it's still an amazing week for him. He should be playing uh, Grand Slam qualifying soon. That's what it seems. And, you know, his results over the past year or so, I think, have been sort of warranting that. Obviously, uh, the French Open, even last year, like he, he didn't even get a wild card for that um, for that tournament. So I think this year he's like almost guaranteed one. And in fact, I don't think he will need it. I think he will have amassed enough points by then that he will be able to get into the Ron Garros uh, qualifying draw automatically, I would assume. And um, yeah, I guess that's it about Martino. Oh, one more sort of interesting tidbit, fun fact. The final between Petri Pericard and Martino was actually the first ITP Challenger Tour final between one-handed backhand players since 2021 in Knoxville when Eubanks beat Altmaier. I know we don't have many one-handers on the tour right now, but I figured, you know, to almost 200 events last year, surely there was something, right? And then I was just scrolling, 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 scrolling. And eventually I found out that, yeah, Eubanks Altmaier 2021. But then if you stop and think about it, like the players that have been reaching the finals with one-handers recently, I mean, yeah, Eubanks only a few, but Altmaier more so, but Cecchinato maybe, but then again, everything was against two-handers. Pechi Pericard last year was against Fikovic. So it really wasn't easy to find one. And it was two over two years, uh, which of course tells you everything you need to know about the state of that shot. And uh, needless to say, growing up, sort of going upwards from the juniors, especially the one-hander is not popular. I mean, you've got Pechi Pericard for whom usually it's a liability. You've got like Privara, who definitely it's a liability for him. Kovacevic has sort of turned it around, right? I mean, he's he's actually using his backhand to his advantage by now, but it's taken him a while as well. So yeah, the future is pretty bleak for the one-hander, even on the ATP side, but it's nice to see a final between two players with one-handers, actually. And uh, when it comes to the semifinalists, Mikhail Kukushkin, as we've been saying, always dangerous on a pretty fast indoor low-bouncing court. He beats Broom, he beats Delors, he beats Kuzmanov, loses to Martino in straights in the semifinal. I think he will be a bit disappointed by that because that felt like a real possibility. But yeah, he is a guy who could feasibly return to Grandstone qualifying as well. Uh, of course, French Open probably he wouldn't be too dangerous <laughs> at, but I think um, especially if he can make, there, make it there by Wimbledon, he actually could have a serious chance at qualifying, you know. 
in uh, in Wimbledon qualies we very often see players without any grass court pedigree and Kokushkin can be very dangerous on grass I think he's had a lot of good well he had a poor win-loss record at Wimbledon from what I remember but it was mostly just drawing Federer, Murray, Nishikori time and time again I think he drew Nishikori like twice and Federer like twice as well Anyway, uh, Alexander Blocks, the other semi-finalist, that was a huge run as well, and that was a very interesting run in that he was so clutch against Royer, he saved six six match points. Most of them were pretty much like plus one, forehands and big serves. However, there was this one point that was really exciting and pretty long, and he has to sort of play this heavier backhand and then come in after that great volley to cap it off as well. Then he wins a crazy 11-9 tiebreak against Richard. He saves a couple of set points against Shelbyh in the first uh, in the in the first set. However, against Petri Pericard, he wasn't able to follow up on his Koblenz run. And this time it was kind of similar like the final against Martino, where it was the blocks rally tolerance that was getting tested, not Petri Pericard's. Whereas in Koblenz, there was this huge part of the match where Petri Pericard just stops believing in his baseline game like whatsoever every single shot is three meters out he's trying to just kill the point with every single shot and he's also like playing yeah Maxim Cressy type of second serves and uh, this time he didn't do it and I'm not saying that in Koblenz it would have worked out because maybe he just wasn't hitting as well maybe he wasn't as comfortable with the conditions but certainly it was a different approach to the matchup against blocks and it worked out for him. Uh, so uh, one more amazing win for Petri Pericard, but still to get a semi-final here for blocks, definitely refreshing after the first few uh, weeks of the season, which had uh, some tough losses. And the title was won by, in, in doubles, was won by Noza and Rikl. So the Czech duo, I think they actually paired up for just the second time in 2018. They made an ITF final together. Now they win a challenger. And needless to say, this is a duo that has ridiculously good serves. So maybe this is uh, maybe this is going to be a thing, you know. Noza is now in the top 100 in doubles, but it seems that he's like more, well, still winning to play a lot of challengers and maybe try challenger singles qualifying as well, where he's still a threat usually in individual matches at least. So uh, let's see how they, you know, if they can keep playing with each other a bit more. But Noza Riku definitely it was an exciting start to the to the partnership here. And also, I didn't talk about my winner pick because I think it wasn't that good. Uh, yeah, I went with Krajinovic and he actually lost to Marvin Müller in the first round. I thought that was one of the best matches that Müller played, really. Uh, sometimes you have this factor that when you play a big name, right, you just kind of step up, you really want to beat them and, and you deliver. And maybe that was also a thing here. But then again, Krajinovic, of course, it's very early in his comeback. I was just sort of very optimistic with that. I was thinking of Kyle Edmund too, and he also lost in the first round. But it was a better match against the Oris Delors. It was a good, good physical battle. And um, I actually might be picking Kyle Edmund later for Glasgow. But of course, we'll get there. Anyway, uh, we need to go to the third event, which was in Bernie. The second event in Bernie, as we have spoken about this many times, you know, basically this is an Australian-Japanese affair. Almost no Europeans want to go there. And this is actually uh, my, uh, the, you know, the event where I got the, the point this week with Adam Walton, the top seed, who beat Dane Sweeney. I honestly did not remember who I picked in Bernie, and I had to get back to the show and re-listen to that part. And it turned out that was Walton. And I think I was doing this by like the semi-final stage or maybe the final. So I was glad that it was Walton. And of course, I'm glad that it was Walton in the end. Even though uh, my uh, inability to remember who I picked in Bernie might kind of tell you that perhaps I wasn't too confident in it. But then again, yes, Adam Walton, obviously last year he won a challenger title in Kerry. He is a proper prospect for sure. And uh, he manages to get it done here, despite some tough matches along the way. Andrei Lagan, I think this was a qualifier that we sort of mentioned as a potential threat on the previous recording. Then there was also Filip Sekulic, tough match in the quarters. Uh, but then he beats Tristan Skulkite and Dane Sweeney. And honestly, in the final, even though the second set got complicated, you could see that Walton always has the upper hand. He has the better, like he's the better ball striker. He has the better shots, sustained hitting, controlled aggression possibilities. And at the same time, he's also like really consistent. Sweeney, usually, you know, his, his main asset is that he's super fast, right? And he can draw out a lot of errors. But against Walton, it just wasn't really working out like this. It was Sweeney who had to risk more. It was Sweeney who had to step out of his comfort zone. And eventually Walton claimed the title in a pretty nice final. I have to say that Walton Sweeney was a 
was still entertaining despite being lopsided for a set and a half. And uh, yeah, for, for Adam Walton, that's a first big run of the year. But then again, you know, he had some really good opportunities earlier to just grab experience, right? Because he played Arnaldi at the Australian Open. He played Lechechka in Adelaide after qualifying. And he played Goffin as well in Canberra, which probably didn't have to be that sort of a tough draw, but, but it was. And Dane Sweeney, the finalist, this is his first challenger final. Of course, someone we've seen sort of around on the Challenger Tour for the last two years or so, and he's been pretty dangerous. He qualified for the Australian Open recently, won two sets against France Rundolo. As I said, the the speed around the court is always the main asset, and you kind of have to question how he beats like higher quality players when that isn't enough. However, for now, let's just, you know, not get into that yet, I suppose, and let's just let the guy have fun and see if he can actually stir up something on the, in the Indian swing as well. Where last year he was pretty dangerous. Last year in the Indian swing he was able to make the semi-finals in Chennai, where he beat Kazo in this ridiculous, very long match and almost hit the best shot I've ever seen. Um, if he made it, it would have been the best shot I've ever seen. Maybe you guys remember that, but it was like a crazy rally when Sweeney was just running up and down. And if he made the last shot, that would have been point of the year, but he actually missed it just a, just by a tiny bit. And the semi-finalists in Bernie were Yasutaka Uchiyama, who makes back-to-back Bernie semi-finals. However, his body gave up on him in the semis against Sweeney. He beat Kumasaka, Hulme and Langmo, so it wasn't a tough draw, definitely not. But still, back-to-back semis is, of course, pretty huge for Uchiyama. And he's also, just like Kokushkin, whom we were talking about earlier, just like, well, Martino isn't coming back to grant some qualifying range. But, like, yeah, Uchiyama is also pretty close to that. Like, he could feasibly think about getting back there by the French Open. And he is definitely a player who still has it in his range to me as well. And Tristan Skulkait, the other Australian youngster, in the first Bernie event, he only wins three games against Luke Savi, so this was pretty huge for him already. He beats Delaney, he beats Jessica, and he beats Litu. Loses to Walton in the semis, but it was a pretty good, like, hard-hitting offensive contest. Skullkate, as we as we know, is also a player who could, you know, soon be playing Grandson qualifying. I think he has the higher seeding among him and Sweeney, probably. Even if right now Sweeney would probably beat him, like, seven times out of ten. And... Um, yeah, that's basically all I have to say. Earlier this year, Tristan beat Michael Moe, which I think in Canberra was a very good display of how, on a good day, Tristan Skulkate is capable of a lot. And then we also have the doubles title, which was won by Benjamin Locke and Yuta Shimizu, the fourth seeds beating Baildon Pearson. And interestingly, Locke and Shimizu have now played two challengers together, one of them being in 2022 in Nontaburi, one of them this year in Bernie, and they won both these titles. So clearly they should be playing more with each other. If that's not an indication indicator for them that they should be playing more with each other, I don't know what will be. And with that, we can get to absent, absent and match of the week before we find the previews. So when it comes to match of the week, obviously I put out the poll on Twitter. I think by the time I'm recording this, it was more or less about four hours ago. Or maybe even a bit less, because that was right after Luca Nardi lost to Sumit Nagal in the Chennai final. As usual, I, I put out the poll after uh, after the last final is over. And let me tell you that currently there's a massive, massive lead in the poll with 20 hours left, but Nardi Tseng are dominating it. There were a few matches from Chennai that I could easily include. Nardi Tseng, I think, was really good in terms of the drama. Quality up and down, I would say. Yeah, a little bit up and down. But it was really good in terms of the, 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 the drama for sure. And there were a few other selections from Chennai that easily could have made it there. Stina Mukund, I actually included in the poll because I had four options and just three events. But also there was Mukund against Kashnikovsky, there was Tomic against Pieczkowski, there was Blanchet against Foretek. Crazy match with like lots of match point saves for Foretek before he eventually lost. And um, there was also a couple from Nottingham, which are really good. So like Kukushkin, uh, not Kukushkin, uh, Delor Edmund, for example. I think easily I could have included Blocks Royer as well. From Bernie, probably not as many classics. I think Walton Sekulic was the one I included in the poll. And I'm not going to agree, agree with the popular vote here. I'm not going to go with Nardit Seng. I'm actually going to go for uh, Mukund against uh, Svcina, actually. That was a very uh, good sort of long match, 80 minutes, first set, great battle. 
Mukund all week he was really stepping up, you know, he was really beating um well let's say better players maybe but playing inspired tennis at home and really hitting harder than he usually does and eventually Stina manages to take him down but it was a it was a big time effort from Dalibor as well so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that that's my match of the week this week and when it comes to the upset let's think about it is there anything crazy Mukund over Kashnikovsky I don't think it was that big however the bookies actually rated it pretty high um, then again, there was like Miller beating Krajinovic. I probably should go for that, right? Because I picked picked Krajinovic to win the title. There was also Langmo over Shimizu. Eh, that's not that massive. I think Shimizu can pretty much lose to... Well, of course, he's really good, but he can lose to anyone on the challenger level to me. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Miller, Miller over Krajinovic, especially after watching Miller in Koblenz, also with a friend of mine sort of talking about him and... He was very uh, displeased with Meller's progress. The the friend is German. And I kind of, I guess, let it get into my head as well. And I was just not expecting anything from Miller against Krajinovic. Especially considering how good Filip looked in Koblenz and how, to me, he still has the game, you know. And he, over time, he should be able to return to, I don't know where, but at least to a level that right now he will feel more comfortable with. And like, yeah, just a ranking range that will be more relevant when it comes to his abilities i don't know if you know as high as he ever was but i think a top 100 return in the future is very possible for him and with that we can get to the next four events we've got a challenger 125 in manama a challenger 100 in bangalore a challenger 75 in uh, Cherbourg, and also a challenger 50 in glasgow so basically all the main categories are covered this week and uh, yeah, let's just, of course, go one by one, go biggest to lowest. Let's start with the event in uh, Manama. And in that Manama event in Bahrain, we have Tanasi Kokinakis as the defending champion. However, he is not playing this. He's actually playing Delray Beach qualifying sort of as I'm recording this. Yeah, I think he beat Brandon Holt. So uh, Tanasi is not here, but we have another Australian top seed. Actually, last year, the top seed was Jason Kubler, I think. Not Tanasi, but Tanasi was also high-seeded. This time it's Christopher O'Connell, who's the top seed and the one of two top 100 players on the Challenger Tour this week. He's playing Billy Harris, though, right away, which isn't easy. Then you have a couple of qualifiers. Then you have Penny Stone playing a qualifier. Another amazing round one between Marc-Andre Hisler and Richard Gasquet. Gasquet, he said that if he's not able to like return to you know the top stage of this, of the sport... He's going to quit after this year. I think he's likely going to have to quit if that's his sort of, um, you know, uh, gauge and how that that's where he wants to be because it's going to be hard. Then you have Vitkov Shiva playing a qualifier, then Rincon against the qualifier, Virtanen against the qualifier and Janesi Jumhur. And you might think like, this many qualifiers? I mean, did they change some rules? No, actually no, because in the bottom half, you've got no qualifiers. And Lucas Klein faces Marco Trujeriti. Klein, by the way, Trunjariti was a round one at the Australian Open qualifying recently, and Klein lost a set, however, he ended up winning the match. Then you have Dugas Molecker, then Oliveira Fatic, and then Basilashvili against Menshik. Exciting, however, I would expect Menshik to win, right? Elias Imer, then uh, he plays Alexander Richard, Imer is the eighth seed, then Svcina against Kukushkin, Abdullah Shelbaich, who had a brilliant run here last year. He was the runner-up at this event. He beat Jason Kubler along the way. He faces Josef Kovalik. And then uh, potentially the Yusuf Ebrahim Ahmed Kaed, who is a Bahraini um, wildcard. He faces Fabio Fonini in a wildcard battle because along with Kaed and Basilashvili, Fabio Fonini is the other wildcard here. And he is actually the second seed. So when it comes to the qualifying and the players that can actually enter the tournament, let's say at the, uh, you know, in the top half, we've got a few interesting names like Durasovic, for example. Daniel Michalski also won an, won a great match last year in Manama. I wonder if he, you know, the conditions are gonna suit him again. He beat Stefano Travaglia last year and also played a decent match against Jason Kubler. So maybe, uh, but of course, I don't really think he's gonna win the title. Adrian Andreev. Uh, however, there, a slight problem for the qualifiers here might be that the event is both finishing on Sunday, uh, Saturday, I think. And at the same time today, a lot of the qualifying was rained off. So I think tomorrow they might have to play uh, two rounds of the qualifying at the same time. Well, not at the same time, obviously, but on the same day. 
So it might be a little tougher for the qualifiers to make an impact, you know, to to actually recover due to that scheduling, due to the fact that the Manama final is going to be on a Saturday. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how it's going to go for these guys. But, but yeah, tomorrow it's the first round of the qualifying and the, the second round as well. And already a few round one matches too with Hisler Gasquet. And uh, oh, I guess just this one match. Yeah, I guess it's just Hisler Gasquet tomorrow then. Anyway, um, also interesting interesting point to mention. We've had once again a wildcard for Anthony Popirin, the brother of Andr- uh, Alexei Popirin. And last year Popirin was playing in this event, Alexei, along with Anthony. This time he doesn't. This time it's actually just a wildcard for Anthony, who's also playing in the uh, in the doubles, along with Kaed, the Bahraini wildcard that I mentioned. So that's pretty interesting for sure. Uh, he's going to play... Um, let me let me quickly uh, tell you because I actually forgot. I think he's gonna play Haliak. Yeah, he's gonna play Haliak in the first round. So I think this might be a bit too tough for um, Antony Popperin. But anyway, let's see how he does. Last year he it wasn't too pretty. Like it, it was pretty clear last year that his wildcard was not, you know, fully warranted by the sports reasons. Let's say. The guy last year went 6-18 and 18 on the ITF and Challenger Tour. Well, Challenger Tour was just this one match, right? And I think he didn't make it through ITF qualifying at any point in time. He only once played a main draw match and it was against Sharipov. He won four games. He played uh, Felix's, Felix Mishker's brother as well and lost to him. Any other sort of opponents that we will be familiar with? Ambrogi, right? He's played some... Uh, Luciano Ambrogi, he's played some ITFs and challengers in Argentina. Popperin got seven games of him. That's not bad. But yeah, in um, in that event in Manama, he got five games of Yankee Errol. So we sh- probably shouldn't expect too much from Alexei po- uh, Antony Popperin. Sorry, Alexei Popperin would be one of the favorites here. But of course, now he's a top 50 player and he's not going to play this anymore. And uh, yeah, let's think about the favorites. Who's going to win this? I would like to pick Lucas Klein, but I don't know if I can do it in a quarter with Jakub Menschik, you know. Klein, the thing is, he is really informed this year. I think if he doesn't lose the belief, he might break the top 100. However, um, I do also like always wonder, you know, is Klein actually a good bet to like win a few matches in a row? And I'm not so sure. I think he should get to the second round here. Then he plays Moleker potentially. That's already tough. And then Menchik quarters. I mean, both guys should really be going very deep here if they want to like maintain maintain their best start of the se- their their starts of the season. Fourth quarter, I don't think there's anyone really who's like title winning potential because I think either of these players should lose to Klein or Menchik in the semis. And then the top half is a little weird. Maybe the right idea to go at this is just to pick Chris O'Connell because, well, I mean, he faces Billy Billy Harris in the opening round and that's not easy. But just based on the fact that so many of the qualifiers will be landing in the top half, in fact, all of them, unless we get like, you know, a, a lucky loser spot opening up before the end of the qualifying. Just based on that, it kind of feels to me like picking Chris O'Connell should be a sensible idea, right? Because the bottom half is gonna be stronger, so going for someone from the bot from the top half should be the, the reliable thing to do, the smart thing to do. And in fact, you know what? I'm gonna try Chris O'Connell. I think I don't like that Billy Harris opener, but if he fights through that, I like his chances to get to the final. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Chris O'Connell. And just for the record, my second pick would have been someone out of Klein Menchik. I have no clue who that would be. Klein Menchik, though, I would love to see this quarterfinal. I, I think this is definitely the match that I'm sort of most excited by in Manama, even if it might actually not happen. You know, this is a match that potentially might not be uh, even played, but I hope that it will be and I will be watching it for sure. Now we're going to India again, to Bangalore, the Challenger 100 that we have for this week. Again, of course, Max Purcell is the defending champion, but he's not here. We already have a withdrawal as well from Hugo Blanchet, but I think this will be included in the draw, yes. The top seeds are the same. The top seed is Luca Nardi playing a qualifier and then Ramanathan or Janvier. That's a good draw for Nardi because you have a qualifier and then Ramanathan or Janvier. So Janvier still hasn't won a match this year. And Ramanathan, as we know, is not exactly at the peak of his singles career. 
And then you also have Seong Chan Hong against Tristan Skulkate in that uh, section and two qualifiers facing one another. Bonzi against Sekulic. By the way, Bonzi is also winless for the year. Zero and six by now. And Sekulic isn't an ideal draw, right? This is a this is a first round matchup that I really want to see as well. Because Sekulic could legit beat him on a good day. And it would be sad for Bonzi because he hasn't been that bad this year. Like he hasn't been zero and six level this year. Then, then he or Sakulic will play Kashnikovsky or Tunglin Wu. There's also Tristan Boyer, interesting addition to the Indian swing here, playing a qualifier. And Oriol Loka Bataya faces a qualifier. And the bottom half, we have Stefano Napolitano against Dane Sweeney. Vasek Pospisil faces a qualifier. And actually, Pospisil was supposed to play Songchan Hong, which would have been pretty funny because recently, just like two weeks ago, they played in a Davis Cup tie. But of course, because uh, Blanchet withdrew, uh, Sekoli, uh, Hong was moved to a seeded spot. So Pospisil now faces a qualifier. You've got Dalavale against Donskoy. Moese Kargui against Duya Idukovic, who's the third seed. Walton plays Dev, so I think it's a nice draw for him to get to the second round for the Bernie champ. Then he would play Fonio or Onklen. And this bottom section is pretty interesting for Nagal because he faces Blanca No and then Coleman Wong or a qualifier. So let's imagine that Nagal plays Blanca No, Wong, and then Walton. That's not easy at all. That's not easy at all. So um yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know what to think about Nagal here. If he plays Coleman Wong in the second round, I would love to see this match, and the same against Walton. And then in the qualifying, we actually have a few very dangerous players. I already mentioned Seng earlier, if he can qualify, although he did have a very physical match today and on Saturday. Samuel Vincent Ruggeri, recently doing a lot of damage. There's also, most importantly, well, maybe not most importantly, yeah, most importantly, we have a match between Bernard Tomic and Jonas Foretek. And that's a sick final qualifying round. Both players very capable, both players very capable of big wins in the main draw. Foretek was close to eliminating Blanchet last week. I would love to see a deep round from Foretek at one of these Indian events. I think he's playing well enough. Bernie was like willing to grind in the matches against Pieczkowski and, and Nardi. And that's, of course, when he's at his most dangerous. And also Corinio, I'm interested to see how he does. I... If memory serves me right, I don't think he was in the previous Indian event, although maybe I just missed him because he didn't do that well. Yeah, it is his first uh, appearance since Otinier Nouveau-Lanef, where he beat Moleker and lost to Nakashima. But yeah, I mean, to me, Corignon should be getting back to a higher ranking pretty soon. So if he can qualify over Danadet, that would be pretty huge. And yeah, Tomic for Atec must, must watch tomorrow. When it comes to my pick for this one, I don't want to go Nagal again. Uh, he plays Wong and Walton potentially early. I don't want to get into that. The third quarter looks very random. Uh, Bonzi, uh, he could easily win this. I think, in fact, he's already won Bangalore a couple of years ago. Let me check that. But I think in like 2022, 2021, he won it. Or actually, sorry, 2020, he was in the final. He lost to Duckworth. Yeah, I remember him, go- him going very deep in, in Bangalore, but that was 2020 already. I mean, time flies, right? And I'm probably going to go with Luca Nardi again, actually. I know he just made the final. I don't know if he was the freshest either, but, you know, the top 100 opportunity is still there. And his draw is just really good. Like, I just really like his draw for the first two rounds, unless a dangerous qualifier lands there. Like, unless you get Tseng, Colignon, Tomic or Foretek there... I like his draw. So I'm I'm just going to go with Luca Nardi again. I don't really like feel confident. I don't like going for back-to-back title weeks, runner-up title weeks or runner-up, runner-up weeks, whatever. But um, yeah, I just think he has a much better draw than Bonzi and Nagal. And these three players are a little ahead of the field to me. And uh, then let's go to Cherbourg, which is the Challenger 75, obviously indoor hard conditions. It's, a, it's an event that we've been seeing for... Uh, for years now, I think in fact it's one of the longer standing challengers on the Challenger Tour. Uh, challengers on the Challenger Tour, events on the Challenger Tour. It's about 30 editions by now. And uh, last year it was won by Giulio Zapieri, who's going the ATP Tour qualifying route this year. So he wasn't defending his title. He actually was in Rotterdam where he lost to Zizou Bergs in the final qualifying round. And uh, instead, in Cherbourg, we have Brandon Nakashima as the top seed playing Valentin Royer. So this is already a tough opener for Brandon. And I have to say that I was like semi-expecting Brandon to maybe pull out of Cherbourg and Po. 
just get back to the States, rest up after this very intense stretch, and then hit Indian Wells Miami. But apparently Brandon is trying to do it a bit of a different way, just sort of even enlarge that challenger points cushion that he's been uh, producing the last few months or so. And honestly, it's it's a decent idea. I mean, I, I was expecting him to do something else, but if he can keep going deep in every challenger he plays, you know, it's going to be amazing for Brandon. Um, but this is a tough draw. This is a high-quality draw. He faces Oscar Otter or Michael Hertz potentially in the second round, but even Royer in the opening round, that's tough. Then you have Copil or Poulain and Layal Herbert, another match. I think last year they played twice in the same event at the end of 2023. It's a bit of a brutal draw for Layal, who hasn't played for a few weeks. But yeah, let's see. I mean, Layal Herbert is definitely one of the best round one matchups you could get in this draw. Then you also have Benoit Per facing Pechi Pericard, the Nottingham wildcard. I mean, the Nottingham champion. Per with a wildcard here, but also the third seed. So this is going to be pretty exciting. I know that there's there will be a lot of people who will be like, uh, yeah, Per Pechi Pericard. That is a, you know, high quality viewing uh, box office match. We also have Matteo Martino against Maya Malish, so two storylines to sort of unpack here because Martino against Pechi Pericard could be a rematch of the final in Nottingham in the second round here. But also we have Maya Malish, who's like a young player who recently went sort of out of nowhere. He went and won the 15k in Brazil. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. And he beat Pavelski, Deshepper, and Bouquier along the way. That was like a couple of big upsets. So I wonder if he's going to actually maintain that here, because last year when he had some pro appearances, he was losing very easily to like Vatutin, Marvin Miller. But yeah, this year, I mean, he's won a 15k with a couple of stellar upsets. So I wonder how he's going to perform here against Martino. And in that section, there's also Alibek Kachmazov playing a qualifier and then a qualifier facing Jan Hoinski. Antoine Escoffier, the eighth seed, plays Jules Marie in an all-French clash. You've got Martin Dam playing a qualifier there, Giustino Bellucci, and then qualifier facing Jean-Bord Piroche. And the very bottom quarter, Tito Androguet plays a qualifier, then Berankis Squire is a match, Kolash against the qualifier, and Alexis Galarno, I think, comes back after a while from an injury, and he will face Quentin Alice with a wildcard here. So two wildcards uh, for seeded players, and one of them for the aforementioned Malige. And when it comes to the qualifying, we already had, I think, some of the results coming in today from the opening round. Let me tell you what they were. Anything interesting? Hazem Nav beating Vatutin. Hazem Nav, of course, the recent Koblenz semi-finalist. That's going to be a big story if he can go deep. Daniel Glinka maybe could do something. Tristan Lamazin is the top seed in the qualies. But given the quality of the main draw, I don't think a qualifier is winning this. And yeah, let me think. I mean, who are we picking here? Is uh, is it wise to just go Nakashima despite a tough draw for him? We could try because it's still Brandon Nakashima, you know, and he's still overwhelming so many opponents at the challenger level. I would love to see like Layal Nakashima in the quarters. What a match that would be. I don't really want to go into anything from the second quarter. That Mpechi Pericard pair Martino Malish section just feels very volatile to me. Martin Dam, honestly, could be a pick. He faces a qualifier and then Escofier Marie, then Justino Bellucci, Piroche. Like, this is all so winnable for him. And you can always go Quentin Alice. However, he's been out of form. I don't know if he's actually going to claim this title. I'm just going to go with Brandon Nakashima. You know, it's it's the easy way out. It's the co- it's a cop-out, but I guess I kind of have to. And uh, is this me actually going for top seeds in every event? Oh, no. I'm sorry, guys, that I'm doing this, but apparently I am. So far, I've picked the top seed in every event. I'm hor- I'm horrible. I'm disgusting. And you know what? I'm gonna make up for it. I'm gonna make up make up for it with a, you know, just a tragic selection in Glasgow with like something so far out the beaten track of the beaten track that I'm just gonna surprise you completely in Glasgow. Okay, let's let's sort of promise ourselves that I'm gonna try to surprise you in Glasgow. I don't know if you will actually be surprised by my pick. But no, I'm not going to try to... Okay, I'm looking at the draw now, and I'm not going to surprise you. However, I will pick an unseeded player. Let's do it like that. I will pick an unseeded player. Anyway, uh, this is the first event of the Challenger 15 Glasgow. 
And we have Calvin Emery as the top seed, facing Hamish Stewart, who, by the way, had a very good performance in Nottingham, making the quarters. Then you have Robert Strombachs against Anton Matusevich. Kacper Zhuk plays Clément Schideck and then Carlos Taberner or David Horda Sanchez. And, like, it's now or never for Zhuk, honestly. He really should be making the quarters, maybe semis here. I don't know if he's going to pull it off, though. He's been off for such a long while now. I don't know if he's going to do it, but this is really now or never to me. You've got Guinard against Blocks. That's a very good round one. Gerasimov against Savvat. Altuk Czerik Bilek and then Ishai Oliel playing Steven Diaz. Czerik Bilek faces a qualifier. Iji Veseli against the Wimbledon champion in juniors Henry Serle. Serle debuted at the challenger level last week. He was okay against Abdullah Shelbaich. Uh, he definitely did pretty well. He took a set. And even though his mobility might be... I would say pretty slow for now. He's just pretty slow for now. He actually does hit a very good ball. And then there's also Jerome Kim, who's here with a protected ranking. And I'm so excited to see how he does. A player that's been like ruined by injuries. But I think I don't really have to tell you that he has a ton of potential still. This year, he's 6-1, and one, playing just two, ITFs, two ITF events earlier this year, winning a title and then losing to Enzo Wallert in the second round of the second event. We also have Francesco Maestrelli, the third seed, playing qualifier, and Thibaut Colson plays a qualifier. And then in the bottom uh, quarter, there's Charles Broom playing Aidan McHugh, Benjamin Locke against Elmar Ejupovic, a couple of qualifiers, and then Kyle Edmund against Dimitar Kuzmanov, Kuzmanov the second seed, Edmund with a wildcard. Now that's an exciting match. And there's a lot of good stuff in the qualifying for Glasgow as well. Let me tell you who's already made it through. We've got, uh, well, just one match still going on. It seems that Alex Naff will be able to make it to the main draw, but Nikola Kuhn is there. You've got Paul Jab as well, uh, Parker. You've got um, Daniel Cox, maybe. Well, that's less exciting. Um, I don't want to really be talking about Pelivo because, well, I would only be talking about him because he's, well, now representing Poland. But anyway, uh, Martin Pawelski, though. I think there's no excuses here. Like, Pawelski has to qualify with a section, with the kind of section that he has. He's already then, uh, you know, he's already gotten one win. Tomorrow he's going to be playing against, um, what's his name, Charlie Robertson. And I think that Martin could actually be very dangerous in this draw. I mean, at the very beginning of the season, I think he's showing a lot of progress. I think he's playing better than he was in the first half of 2023 and definitely better than he was in the first half of 2020, in the second half of 2023. Only a few losses so far, a 10-4 record. Mostly good players that he lost to, maybe outside of Lyonenka. Malij, as I said, it was a big upset, but he won the title that, that uh, week. Great matches in the uh, low borough, I think it was a 25k, where he beat Matusevich, Kingsley and lost to Edmund. Strombachs he also beat as well this year. So I think Martin really has to qualify here. Like, there's no excuse. And if he does, he's going to be dangerous here. I actually think he will be pretty dangerous. And as I promised you, an unseeded winner pick, I'm thinking about three players. Uh, one of them is Kyle Edmund. This is like the most reliable option. Then you also have Jerome Kim and Kasper Zhuk. I don't know which one of these guys would be the wildest. I legit think that there is a very high chance for an unseeded player to win, win this event because some of the seeds just aren't that strong, you know? It's a very even uh, draw quality and a lot of these unseeded guys are dangerous. Zhuk, I think, can lose, to can lose to Shidek in the first round. But I think if he plays Horda Sanchez or Taberner, he really should be beating them. I think if Zhuk wins his first round, he's going to make the semis. And after that... It's all so open. When it comes to Jerome Kim, he's playing a qualifier and then Vesely or Serle, super doable. And that whole third quarter is actually very doable. Kyle Edmund, if he beats Dimitar Kuzmanov, I think he's also making it to the semis. I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm really torn. I know I want to go for either of these guys. I definitely do. I, I want to do it 100%. I just don't know for which one. Honestly, I entered this recording with the thought that I was probably going to go for Kyle Edmund. But now that I'm looking at it, I wonder if my Polish bias, you know, is not too strong with Zhuk here because I really like his draw. Like, this is really now or never to me. 
the do or die event for him. He absolutely should be going deep here. I don't know if he will, given that he's been struggling for so long. Well, according to the bookies, he's the underdog against Shidek. I'm a little surprised by that. Edmund, however, is the favorite over Kuzmanov, which does feel right to me. Yeah, let's go Kyle Edmund. I'm sorry, Katsper. If Katsper wins the title here, I'm going to be so sad. Well, I'm not going to be sad. I'm actually going to be happy about it. However, I'm going to be sad that I didn't pick him, you know, that, that I didn't trust him here. But I'm going to try Kyle Edmund. Hopefully it's an Edmund Zhuk final and I can just enjoy it and sort of be okay with either player winning. However, uh, yeah, I'm actually picking Kyle Edmund here. And I think it's a serious case. Like, it's it's not just... You know, the guy should return to his best level at some point or like, you know, he's getting better. He is actually getting better. Like, I'm not imagining this. The match against Delore in the opening round at Nottingham, I think he easily could have won that and had a deep run there. Well, maybe not a deep run, he would have played Kukushkin second round, but there's no Kukushkin or Delore here. Like, if he beats Edmund, he probably makes the semis. Maybe if Pavelski lands close to him, maybe it's tough. Maybe another dangerous qualifier like Paul Job. But no, I'm, I'm going to pick Kyle Edmund. And let's see. I mean, I've picked three top seeds and Kyle Edmund. So it's a bit of a weird set for sure. I think especially in Bangalore and in Manama, I was just like choosing between three or four favorites. And the guy with the top seed status had the best draw. Whereas in Sherbrooke, it's just a matter of everyone can win it. And I just want to go with the boring answer because I have no idea. However, uh, at least in Glasgow, we have this exciting unseeded winner pick. And of course, I'm going to be back to um, talk about this with you guys. Mostly, you know, recap the events and preview the next ones. But of course, the winner picks will be mentioned as well, no matter if they're good or not. And uh, yeah, we're going to see each other in, or rather hear each other in about a week. Thank you for listening as usual. Uh, thank you for uh, joining the show. And um, yeah, I'm going to be there discussing Manama, Bangalore, Glasgow and Sherbrooke in seven days. I'll see you then.